I think the violence of, of Sendero is calculated, rational, uh, part of the philosophy through which they see that change comes. That power, in, in other words, you do what we say, meaning we being the party. The violence is necessary, and if you don't agree with what, what, what the party proposes to bring about the so-called change in, in, in Peru, which Sendero proposes, they kill you. They built on that frustration and anger of a people who had uh, become aware, you know, of the possibilities of creating a new Peru. But it has this very strong uh, middle-class student radical base of the sort of 60s. Uh, so that in the early days, it looked a bit as if he were another sort of Che Guevara figure, rather than Pol Pot, which is what he later became. They stole a ballot box, or a number of ballot boxes, uh, in Ayacucho during the election. Uh, the 1980 election, and uh, they burned those boxes. And at the same time in Lima, in the city of Lima, uh, they uh, hung dogs in doorways of some public buildings overnight, I think it was the 17th and 18th of May, 1980. And uh, they wrote slogans, put up those uh, sort of uh, placards on the dogs uh, with slogans from the Chinese uh, revolution revolutionary period and saying that the corrupt people would be treated like mad dogs. This is a lesson. And that was the first public evidence of the existence of of um, Sendero as an active uh, revolutionary agent in a violent sense. Before then they were operating clandestinely throughout the 70s. Last September, what Peruvians describe as the arrest of the century took place in Lima, Peru's capital. Abamiel Guzman, the almost legendary leader of the Sendero Luminoso, or in English, The Shining Path, had finally, after 12 years on the run, been arrested. It was a much-needed boost for the beleaguered government of President Fujimori. The Maoist Sendero Luminoso take their name from Peru's first prominent Marxist, Jose Carlos Marigati, who said that Marxism will open the shining path to revolution. That path has been tarnished by the brutal campaign waged by the Sendero Luminoso, whose strongest base is in the highlands of Peru. And the long-suffering people are caught between the violence of the revolutionary Sendero Luminoso and the terror waged by the state against any voice campaigning for change in a country where 70% live in poverty. Sendero Luminoso aimed to destroy everything and build from the ashes. Anyone standing in their way, including development workers, risk being murdered. This is the story of how such a movement took root in Peru. Maria Elena Moyano was part of, was a woman like hundreds of women in Peru who were trying to keep the show on the road in, in small organisations organizing food kitchens and glasses of milk and for Sendero that's counter-revolutionary. It is not the way you do the revolution. It is not the way you bring about change. (laughs) 
Marielena lived in what we called the third area of El Salvador, and she was a tremendous leader. She formed a group of women called uh, FEPA MUVES, uh, which means Federation of Women of El Salvador. And she, uh, these women worked together in the organization of the glass of milk. Some of them worked in dining kitchens. Some of them were leaders in their local groups. And Maria Elena herself was a tremendous leader. She had a tremendous following. And uh, she herself, from the age of 15 or so, began to dedicate herself uh, to helping her neighbors. Uh, first of all, as a teacher in a little um, kinder or pre-kinder. Mm -hmm. And uh, from there on all the way, uh, she, she used to help groups of other children with their homework, etc. Until when she was older, she began to uh, go into politics. She belonged to, uh, to the left wing and uh, she became eventually elected as vice mayor of El Salvador. For some time, Maria Elena had been speaking out strongly against uh, Sendero Luminoso, her lighted path, and she was she was well known to them as a strong leader who had a great following, and therefore was a, a big threat to them. Uh, a few days previous to her death, Maria Elena had uh, led a, a march, a peace march, <coughs> against lighted paths activities. Uh, she had actually defied <coughs> some of the other leaders of El Salvador uh, and questioned them as to why they were not uh, working for peace. Uh, well, the real reason is that they were siding with Sandero. So Maria Elena was a real challenge to a lighted path. And uh, at the time of her death, it was public knowledge that she was sought for by them and that her days were counted. Uh, on this particular day, uh, she had, it was on a Saturday, she had taken her, her two sons and her nephew, who was her godchild, uh, to the beach for a couple of hours. The, the beaches are quite near here. And uh, she normally should have uh, two bodyguards because of her situation as, as vice mayor and being under this threat. Uh, but she wasn't too particular about uh, always having her bodyguards with her. On this particular day, there was only one. And some of the women from this uh, federation of women uh, that she led, uh, they were putting on uh, a barbecue or uh, trying to raise funds for their activities. And uh, Maria Elena promised them that she would be present at some point during the barbecue. So she arrived here to the first, first sector of El Salvador to to visit these women, and obviously she had been she was being followed and watched by members of Sendero. So as soon as she came in to the park and went into the to the communal building here where they were working and uh, selling their uh, barbecue chicken. Uh, the, uh, a woman appeared with a pistol, and uh, Maria Elena saw her approach her, and uh, she she said to the other women who wanted to cover her, she said, "No, stand back. This is for me." And uh, then she was shot. After she was shot, uh, a bomb was thrown at her body, 
and uh, her little nephew uh, tried to to rescue her and he got badly burned in the in the act at that particular moment we were in the chapel belonging to this area which is just about three blocks away we heard the bomb and so mass hadn't begun yet so we all ran down uh, with uh, the priest and another sister who was with me there uh, we ran down here to the park to see what happened and as Father Gregory ran across the park to the to this communal building uh, and returned to us in a couple of minutes and he said uh, a body has been blown to pieces over there and we're afraid it's Maria Elena uh, the people were very very shaken by this even though uh, it was expected but nobody ever thought that it would come so soon or that it would really happen. Uh, so we were all really very upset. All the women were very, very affected by it. And uh, the next all walks of life, politicians, uh, even the Archbishop of Lima had been out that morning to, to visit her home. The next day, uh, the funeral mass took place in the early afternoon and followed by the funeral. Again, there were thousands of people from all over Lima at the Mass, and afterwards uh, there was this huge procession right to the graveyard. And, well, uh, we all felt that Sendero uh, did more damage to themselves than anything uh, by killing Maria Elena, because she was known as a great leader as a person who dedicated herself so much to the poor, uh, who helped the poor to to develop uh, their own lives, their own uh, to educate themselves, uh, to become capable women uh, who would know to take, how to take their place in society, how, who would know how to deal with with local political problems and fight for justice. Uh, we don't ever really know who might be in Sendero and who is not. Mm. And uh, people could be reporting, could be watching, etc. And you just don't know. There is a didactic motive in the, in, in the assassination of Maria Elena Moyano by Sendero. It's the teacher lesson to pe people, we do not want this done. And this is what we do to people who do that. The woman who told us the story of Maria Elena is one of the many courageous people living in Peru willing to speak out against the violence of Sendero. Father Noel Kearns and Kevin McDonough, two Columbans, who now live in Ballymun, worked in Peru in the late 70s and 80s. It was then that Sendero had begun to organise in the shanty towns of Lima. The first time I heard of it, I went down to, to a mining town where a friend of mine is working in a parish um, in the early years of, of, of the early part of 1980. And I read this doctrinaire declaration of Sendero Luminoso about what was going to happen to, 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 to transform the country. And I mean, I literally laughed. You know, and it just, it just sounded crazy. 
that, that the old regime is going to is, is going to is going to collapse that, that 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 the new state is about to be born that there are different stages in the, in the struggle to take over the control of the state that violence is is is, 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 is power uh, is born from the barrel of a gun and that Sendero Luminoso will will transform the state and and transform Peru I just I was sitting down in a chair talking to two or three friends and we just laughed I think the organization was, was able to take root because of the extreme poverty in Peru, and particularly the extreme poverty in the place uh, where, where Abimael Guzman founded Sendero Luminoso, and the, the, the departamentos to which it spread. That on one part, and on the other part, the, 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 the lack of a, a project in the country that addressed the basic needs of the people. I think that the violence of, of Sendero is calculated, rational uh, part of the philosophy through which they see that change comes. That power, in, in other words, you do what we say, meaning we being the party, and uh, Abimael and his, and his companions being the, the, the mouthpieces of the party. You do what we say because we know. And if you don't do what we say, it's too bad. That's it. People have been abandoned politically by central government and by local government for decades, for centuries, going back to the colonial times. The suffering is a long-standing suffering. Uh, Gustavo Gutierrez, the renowned um, liberation theologian, Peruvian, from a poor barrio in Peru, he speaks of three levels of violence. He speaks of the ancestral violence, the long-standing violence that comes down through the corridors of time, down through history of brutalization, abandonment, uh, the cruel treatment of the Indian peoples, or majority, in Peru. Then there's the uh, repressive violence of the various central governments in Lima. Many of them were military dictatorships, and they have always treated the people in the mountains and the poor people very badly, working class people. Um, anytime there were strikes or stoppages, work stoppages, uh, they shot people in the streets, they jailed them, people had no protection, they suspended the constitution, the constitutional rights, they forbade people to meet, to have assembly, right of assembly. They jailed people for long periods with, with no trial, no due process. Uh, people will often be five, six years in jail without ever being brought before a judge. And then the third prong of the violence would be the subversive violence. So that's the ancestral violence, repressive violence, and subversive violence. The sort of the terrorist violence of a group like Sendero. And the people are caught in a crossfire. And right now, uh, 25,000 people or more have been killed in political violence in the last 25 years, a good half of them by the military. We went in the first day that anyone could go in after the, the riots. Uh, and we celebrated Mass in that block where the people had died. 
It was a scene like something out of the apocalypse. On the 18th of June 1986, during curfew hours, a special unit of the Peruvian Republican Guard stormed the Lima prison of Lurigancho to end a three-day siege, where prison warders had been taken hostage by Sendero Luminoso prisoners. By dawn, the bloody consequences of the military intervention had resulted in the death of 400 prisoners. Many had been killed, even though they had given themselves up. Peru's first democratic president, Alan Garcia, who ordered the military into the jail, said that democracy had to defend itself, cost what it might, and oppose what it had to oppose. A chaplain who visited the prison after the riots recalled soon afterwards what it was like. It will be a long, long time before this is forgotten. The effect, for example, on the families of prisoners, uh, people who were either some guilty, but a lot is yet untried. Uh, what happens when you have someone untried and who's given themselves up just being shot dead at point-blank range by the police? This kind of thing is very, very bad. Likewise, the way the bodies were disposed of secretly at night the police came in and took the bodies away and they buried them in, in cemeteries outside of Lima, uh, telling the, the sextant or warden of the, of the, warden of the, the cemetery that he had to stay in his room. And relatives went later on to cemeteries and found clandestine graves, just with, in some cases, just with numbers on them. El huerto de mi amada, por, ej for example, reminds me uh, my childhood because uh, my father um, um, played the piano and he was playing the piano and we were singing and uh, also until before I came uh, we used to play with uh, my friend, I have one friend and a very close friend and he, she know all these songs um, she's very good for playing the guitar for singing a song and forget together and uh, there was all um, these things in my memory all the time and also Carmen recalling a popular song, El Huerto de Mi Amada, from her childhood in Peru. Carmen increasing violence. They were worried for the safety of their children. The fact that Luke was a foreigner working in development meant his life too could be in danger. Carmen remembers happier times in Lima. I wasn't uh, in a family with, who loved the, the music, the Peruvian music. There was uh, waltzes at that at that time. The um, were they singing about the um, 
Lima like a garden city and there was uh, um, really happiness in our reunions and in what was uh, the birthday celebrations of uh, any party um, and also you can walk you could walk around the the Lima city and there were beautiful places but uh, also there were peace <laughs> but also I know there were people who suffered a lot as well but uh, there wasn't this kind of situation like today really uh, here in Ireland uh, um, I was talking with another Peruvian about it and uh, there is uh, a feeling uh, a common feeling for us Sometimes we didn't listen the music here because we are so sad because you want to be there, you want to be with your friends and with your family and uh, you want to be in your country. In our work, uh, social work and community development, we obviously saw the beginnings of Sendero and uh, as many other people, we didn't take them very seriously at the beginning because uh, while uh, most of the popular movement and people in development education were uh, trying to build up uh, an awareness of the importance of organization, uh, they were talking about armed struggle uh, openly uh, for a few years before 1980, and uh, it made very hard work for what we were trying to do. But um, yes, we knew them. And I remember a special one, one lady in the shanty towns who came uh, from the Andes, from the Ayacucho exactly. And she was uh, a poor lady. She didn't have a husband. She had uh, three kids. And she um, was involved in, the, in this movement because the policeman found that in her house um, uh, many guns, they said, and she was taken in jail. But um, she was, I think, so in the 1980s. And um, she really was a case very, very close to me. I, I, I wrote a poem for her because she was a mother she was working near my door to go to the nuns a uh, few blocks of my house and try to sell newspapers for give the milk uh, to the children every day. Compañera, tus niños están secos de amor maternal. Your children are without maternal love. And we don't know how to calm your, your sorrow. How can we free you from the enemy when you yourself fell into the trap? All the injustices and all the mistakes have fallen upon you and they have blamed you for everything. Sendero came into the village of Wasawasi about five o'clock in the afternoon. A group of about 60 um, members of Sendero, mostly young children, 
between the ages of 11 and 15 with leaders, with um, men and women leaders. They knocked on, they had a list of people they wanted. The list had something like, as we understand it, something like 20 names on it, but only five of those people could be found at home. Others escaped, having heard the news that Sundera had entered into the village. They blocked off accesses into and out of the village. Hawasawasi um, is a valley and only has one entrance and one salida. Um, they went. They sent them out in groups to collect the people whose names they had on the list. Um, as we understand it, Irene had not long come back from the village of Tarama from doing shopping, and she was upstairs in our house in Wasawasi when a group of three or four banged on the door and told her they wanted to see her. Um, Irene called out that she'd be down in a minute, but they didn't wait. They started to bang on the door and broke some of the windows, so she came down. Um, they took her at gunpoint up to the, the plaza, which would have been about a 20-minute walk. Um, there she was met with the others that they had bought from houses, four, four men from the village. And we're not sure how many people they had collected from around the plaza, because at about five in the afternoon there wouldn't have been a whole lot of people present. They then gave painted slogans on the, the walls of the buildings, including the church, um, Sendero propaganda, spoke to the people, we understand for about anything between an hour and an hour and a half before they actually did any killings. Um, they then burnt down the municipal building that the people themselves had built and started to put the, the people, um, the five on their knees and one by one proceeded to shoot them in the head. The kangaroo court, I suppose, is they, they themselves put the people on their knees and in front of the people accused them. Irene was accused of being a Yankee imperialist. Each member was accused of, of each member that they had captured was accused of, of crimes. Um, the people complained that, that they were innocent, uh, but they themselves said that nobody was innocent and that they had to be punished for disobeying um, the orders of Sendero. Their aim is to destroy the, the basic popular movements that the people themselves have organised. Um, they're against um, the people organising their own groups. And as a result, in Wasawasi, for example, there are no public leaders left. All have been killed by Sendero. A friend of Sister Irene McCormack describing how a Cinderista column killed Irene, an Australian nun with four other members of the community, including the president of a committee to obtain a TV satellite antenna on the 21st of May 1991. Leading anthropologist Carlos Ivan de Gregori has analysed the philosophy of Sendero Luminoso, how they believe their mission is not only to change the course of history in Peru, but the history of the whole world. It is not just to change the... Terrible situation of our country, but to change the whole world, and they uh, imagine themselves as the most uh, sophisticated product of 15,000 mil million years of matter in movement. That means from the Big Bang on, I mean, they uh, go back to the Big Bang and they reconstruct the whole the history of the universe of. You know, and then the history of humanity, and then the history of Peru. 
It is the obligation of all militants to struggle permanently to defend and preserve the party leadership, especially the leadership of Chairman Gonzalo. Learn from Chairman Gonzalo and incarnate Gonzalo's thought and has become the greatest living Marxist, Leninist, Maoist, great political and military strategist, philosopher, master of communism, center of party unification. I certainly, when I think they were talking about it in their sort of heyday, they saw themselves as first of all coping with Peru and then spreading across the whole of South America. I think they saw themselves as sort of first revolutionary spearhead in the continent, which would ultimately all turn to Guzman and his followers. Guzman was born in a small little um, departamento or county in the south of Peru called Moquegua, which is the last county before you go over to the Chilean border. Uh, had studied in a city in the south of Peru called Arequipa, had studied philosophy and law in, in uh, Arequipa, was a reserved person, quiet, studious, intelligent, capable, uh, more aloof hmm, rather than, 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 than deeply enmeshed in the, in the events of the university and at this time <coughs> moved from um, Arequipa to the poorest county in Peru, the poorest departamento, which is Ayacucho, which since the, the whole drama and, and episode of Sendero has become known worldwide, the name uh, etymologically, because of a former battle, um, meant the corner of death. A lot of people were killed in the last stand um, in the war uh, between for liberation from the Spanish. Um, Abimael went there as a professor uh, to a small university in a city of about about 50,000 people, 45, 50,000 people, uh, Ayacucho, and worked very cautiously and very carefully and very intelligently over a fairly long period of time, um, initially in very small things. Uh, he was in the Department of Education. He was teaching philosophy. He had access to field work by students who came, who would go out and they'd do a bit of research on living conditions, diet, uh, crops that were being produced, cost of producing crops, uh, potatoes, wool, uh, sheep rearing, who was growing the crops, what prices the crops, crops cost, what percentage of children were going to school, what was the quality of education. If you can imagine a, a faculty of, uh, of university in Dublin, and an intelligent professor uh, sending people out to find out what's happening in Talla, find out what's happening in Ballymun, find out what's happening in Darndale, living conditions of the people, uh, income of the people, rate of unemployment, and conscientizing and politicizing the students, young people from very poor backgrounds. I have a figure in there in the room of, of um, oh, something drastically low, $45 a year per capita income the majority of people in Ayacucho. Um, he, he, he went to Ayacucho um, in his own process of politicization and in his own uh, uh, search for uh, roots in an organization. Um, I suppose you can never look back and say exactly what he had in his mind, but if you study his, 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 his project and his, 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 uh, his thrust 
I mean, you, you, can, you can see the different steps he took at different times to set up this organisation, which today is known worldwide as Sendero Luminoso, the Shining Path. Well, he's always been a very mysterious figure because nobody saw very much of him. He was, in the old days, rather sort of thin, um, dark, sort of anxious figure, but he was always said to have some sort of kidney disease and took a lot of cortisone, so that by the time his photograph started appearing on posters in the capital, he was a very large, fat man with a tremendously sort of sullen, aggressive face. And in some uh, videos they captured before they found him, there were pictures of Guzman uh, dancing with um, some of the women members. And you see this very sort of large, slow, clumsy man. It's very difficult from that to tell what he was like, but it's clear that he had a tremendously strong power on the people around him. I mean, and there was a, always a lot of talk about who he lived with and, and his wife and whether or not they were seen as the sort of father and mother of Peruvian radical politics. Um, but certainly in those videos, he was seen with other women, and the woman he was with before has vanished, and I think no-one knows whether she committed suicide or whether, in fact, he even murdered her. In the very early days, it was, of course, entirely among sort of young students, professors, intellectuals. That was the first stage of it, and it was after that that they started broadening their base into society, which was what they planned to do. But it has this very strong uh, middle-class student radical mm. base of the sort of 60s, uh, so that in the early days it looked a bit as if he were another sort of Che Guevara figure rather than Pol Pot, which is what he later became. Sendero Luminoso's support reaches far beyond Peru into Europe and Canada. Last year, English journalist Caroline Moorhead, based in London, wrote an article for the London Independent describing Sendero's ruthless methods and the support they maintain in the West. I had quite a lot of calls saying that it was the sort of piece that could only be written by the right because clearly it was knocking a, a fine revolutionary group which of course is to entirely misunderstand them because there was nothing charming or romantic about them at all just the fact that Peru had a largely military government didn't make their opponents necessarily saints in fact it was in this country it was Maria Elena Moyano's death and killing that actually made people realise that, that uh, Sendero Luminoso had support in the West because um, after she was murdered, uh, a young woman, Sendero's supporter, wrote to The Guardian saying that it hadn't been a murder, it had only been a just execution because she was a reactionary element. And I think people wondered how it was that this young woman in London was talking like this about what were clearly sort of murderous thugs. Also, there was something very shocking about her death because she was a a wonderful woman, and she was clearly not a reactionary figure. And I think then people started looking around and thinking, oh, there are supporters here. And I think this is probably even truer on the continent. I think um, Belgium and Holland, um, and also as far away as Canada, Sweden, Spain, Switzerland, Belgium. I mean, there are said now to be little groups of people, supporters, who really believe in him and indeed there's always been talk that money has actually come from Peru to support them rather than the other way around. Although Guzman's arrest last year was heralded as a major breakthrough, Sendero are far from being defeated. It would seem that it's been affected a great deal because it wasn't only Guzman, it was also others who were caught and certainly there was such a cult of him as leader there weren't really any other names that emerged very strongly. It was always seemed to be his movement. And it would seem now that, that they are slightly reduced. I mean, the killings have not stopped. It's really a question of whether they can reorganise and whether there are other people in the movement who can take over from Guzman.
Given that Sendero's support appears undiminished with an estimated active membership of 6,000 and many thousands offering silent support to Sendero, they can, as they plan, continue their strategy for many years. Their financial needs also seem unlimited as they exploit the cocoa-rich region of the Hualagua Valley in central Peru. It, it will depend a lot on what we would do. I mean, we, the non-Senderista population, especially the state, the government, the armed forces and the political parties, but also civil society, because Sendero Luminoso declared the war against everybody. So everybody is, is in this war uh, even if they don't want it. I don't want it, but I am, because Sendero uh, force you to define yourself. If you are not with them 100%, you're against them. So a lot is going to depend on what we will do. I think we have to emphasize that, that to fight Sendero Luminoso, the best way to fight Sendero Luminoso is uh, with more democracy, is avoiding violations of human rights. Otherwise, you just become a mirror image of Sendero Luminoso, and then why are you fighting them? No, you have to differentiate yourself radically from Sendero Luminoso, because they want you to become like them. They want the state and the army to make, to do a genocide constantly. They are waiting for uh, the state and the army to provoke a genocide so that they would appear as the lesser evil to the population. So the best way to fight them is being radically different to them. And as you know, in most of the time, the state and the armed forces have not been up to this uh, uh, challenge, I would say. And, uh, well, I think uh, if we are able, and in this uh, particular point, the political parties, especially the democratic ones, have a big responsibility, and they, are, uh, they have to change, because uh, since they have not been able to respond to the people's demands, they have been abandoned by the population. They are tired of these political parties that are not up to the challenges of Peru. So they have to change, they have to renew them, renew themselves, you know, in order to be able to fight for a democratic alternative to Sender Luminos. Fujimori's government has made all these terrible, drast, terribly drastic cuts to pay the interest on the debt. And economists in Peru have calculated that the capital has been paid back at least two and a half and three times already. And now they're only just servicing the debt over $50 million a month going out of a, a country like Peru uh, there is no room for development. It has been the most cruel and insensitive uh, economic policy ever try implemented in Peru. Uh, prices were raised to European standards practically. Uh, social services cut back. Uh, Peruvians suffering the most uh, terrible economic conditions. Is that not a breeding ground for a more 
senderistas, more people into the band of Sendero. To my country, the sea and the wind bring me to your sight. I am a swallow from your warm sands. I love the dew when in my cheeks it brings me back to faraway friendships. In this new horizon, you are in my heart, but my feet cannot rest on your steps. I look for the shining rose, the multicolored flame of Latin American motherland. I keep up my hope with courageous illusions. If I am dreaming of you, I will never lose you.